and welcome to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast, Retirement Market Update. I'm your host, Victoria Panormo. I'll start today by reviewing some of the recent pensions-related headlines, and then I'll be joined by Dr. Chris Sear from Clear Glass and Aon's Neil Smith to discuss the importance of scrutinising costs incurred by institutional asset owners. It's time for the news. Pension Transfer Gold Standard. The Pensions Advice Task Force set up last summer by the Personal Finance Society, the PFS, has launched the Pension Transfer Gold Standard, a voluntary code of practice for safeguarded and DB pension transfer advice, based around a set of nine principles. The gold standard is essentially a kite mark for DB transfer advice, which is voluntary. The intention is that advisory firms adopt and promote this standard and principle so consumers can better understand and find good advice and be confident that they are dealing with a firm that is going beyond the FCA's minimum requirements when giving financial advice. Any financial advice firm can adopt the gold standard, regardless of which accredited body they are a member of. Consumer education will be key. The standard has been released with a summary introductory document, practitioner guide and a consumer guide for members. There will be a public launch in a couple of months time. However, in the meantime, the PFS would like to see the consumer guide included with transfer quotes and retirement packs in the same way as leaflets on pension scams are already included. Raising the standards of transfer advice and communication must be good for consumers. We hope it leads to a significant reduction in advisory scandals, such as the issues that surrounded the British Steel Pension Scheme. Automatic enrolment increases. Combined employer and employee minimum pension contributions rose from 5% to 8% of qualifying earnings on 6th of April. After the increase to company contributions and taking into account tax relief, Aon estimate that for the price of two cups of coffee a week, this could result in around an extra £55,000 in today's money in an individual pension pot at retirement. I think that might help members sleep better at night for a number of reasons. In its 2017 review of AE, the government committed to reducing the lower earnings threshold and lowering the age of eligibility, but not until the mid-2020s. Pensions Dashboard. The DWP announced last year it would begin with a single dashboard launched by the single financial guidance body, but over time moved to a multi-dashboard approach. Its consultation into the dashboard closed at the end of January, and now pension schemes will be given up to four years to supply customer data to new online services to help tens of millions of savers see their retirement pots in one place. In its response to the consultation on the dashboard, which was out on the 4th of April, the government stated it would bring forward legislation to compel all pension providers to make consumers' data available. Money and Pension Service As we mentioned in our last podcast, the Money Advice Service, Pensions Advisory Service and PensionWise have become one single financial body and officially named the Money and Pensions Service, or MAPS. 
Sponsored by the DWP, the government-backed organisation seeks to tackle the many complex financial well-being challenges faced by people in the UK through working in partnership with organisations across many sectors. To facilitate this, MAPS are kicking off with a UK-wide programme of listening events, giving stakeholders an opportunity to discuss views on everything from pocket money to pensions and help create the new national strategy and three-year plan for MAPS. According to the MAPS business plan, the service hopes to deliver 205,000 pension freedoms transactions over the next year and 290,000 personalised pension guidance sessions, both a significant increase on last year. FCA consultation on publishing and disclosing costs and charges. The consultation carried out by the FCA sets out their proposed rules to require scheme governance bodies to disclose costs and charges information. The consultation is due to end on the 28th of May 2019 and final rules expected to be published later this year. The reason for the consultation is largely down to weakness on the buyer side of the market and the complexity of the product. The importance of costs and charges in institutional space links us nicely to the interview at the end of this podcast. State opening of Parliament. State opening of Parliament is expected in mid-May, with dates still to be confirmed. Speaking at the Work and Pension Select Committee, Pensions Minister Guy Opperman said that the Pensions Dashboard, the DB White Paper and CDC legislation were the three key components that he hoped to be in the upcoming Pensions Bill. If you'd like more information on any of these areas, I'll add contact details at the end. All podcasts are available on our Aon Pensions podcast, iTunes and Spotify channels, and you can subscribe to these channels so that new episodes are downloaded automatically to your device. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast stage two people I've got with me today to discuss cost disclosure and fee transparency on pension schemes. This is a podcast first for me. Chris, before I let you introduce yourself, you are my first guest that has a Wikipedia profile. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's interesting. <laughs> first thing I'm going to do is go and look that up right away. <laughs> um, I, could, you, could you introduce yourselves to our listeners, please? My name is Chris here. Uh, I am currently the chairman um, of a small data company that collects data, cost data specifically, um, from asset managers on behalf of um, pension funds and other asset owners. Uh, previously, I chaired uh, the FCA's working group on exactly the same subject, producing standards, and I've been working in and around this subject now for about 11 years, um, as well as the world of uh, innovation and technology. Okay, uh, I'm Neil Smith. I'm a member of the fiduciary team here at Aon. Uh, with an added responsibility for the approach we take to transparency. And that's transparency both of costs and also performance. And I've been here since 1999. Okay, so let's dive straight into it. So cost collection has been a topic for a number of years now. What, what's changed? What's changed recently? We're absolutely right, Victoria. Uh, when I first joined this organisation last century, uh, as it was, the first job I had was compiling cost information for asset managers. And that was very quickly followed uh, by the Miners Review, which made the case for increased disclosure of transparency to asset owners. 
However, back then it was the asset managers really who had more interest in costs and the disclosures, there was no consistency and standardization of disclosures to asset owners. And very quickly it became confusing and fell off the radars. So what's changed? The IDWG, uh, as it's uh, <laughs> referred to, less of a mouthful, uh, issued its report in November 2018 and a set of standard templates was issued, which are already being used by a number of asset owners to help them understand all the costs that are being incurred on their behalf. And we're lucky enough to have the chair of the IDWG with us today. Chris, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you you first became interested in, in cost of investing? Well, if you wanted uh, first interested, then it goes back a long way. My father was a fund manager. And for a while, I was uh, I was helping him with his uh, his reporting when he ran a, um, a small fund. Um, what I wanted to know was the transfer of wealth from the consumer to asset managers and all of the constituents of asset management. How much is it? What actually disappears and how? Uh, and what I came to conclude was it was incredibly complicated, and I think we all accept that. Uh, but the first paper I wrote was looking just looking at a very very simple equity ISA. And there were 16 layers of intermediation between the consumer um, and the marketplace to get to the product they wanted to buy. And only one of them was asset management. So there were 15 others, each of which was taking a slice of money when it passed through their hands. And, and I just wanted to understand how much it was. And that's where I've been ever since and has resulted, I think, in ultimately being appointed to be chair of the IDWG. And now the standards, which are granular and, and look at all of these layers of intermediation, um, have been produced and are being used, um, actually at the moment only being used by us at Clearglass, but, um, but but they'll be ubiquitous soon enough. This all sounds complicated and, and I guess typically you, you associate complexity with being expensive, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so can you give us an idea of how much this is going to cost trustees, sponsors to, to, to go through this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, um, and that's the genesis of Clearglass. It is a platform. It is a piece of technology. It is a utility. We don't do fancy things like consulting. There are lots of consultants here. Neil, you're one of them, and the entirety of Aon is another. You've got Mercer, Willis, Taz, Watson. You've got a whole range of counterparties you can face for advice. It doesn't do benchmarking. Um, Benchmarking is, again, the province of people who are seriously high value added. All we do is we go and get the data, we add it up, and we present it for analysis in some analytical dashboards. That's all we do, and therefore, because we do that, um, we make it very cheap. It's £100 a mandate. Yeah, and as a, a representative of asset owners on the fiduciary side, we completely welcome this initiative because I've tried to do it personally. It's taken a year of my time. God, um, that would be expensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, not as expensive as you might think. <laughs> um, and that was a year of our time. We had data in all shapes and forms very hard to get to the bottom to it. And now with the competitions and markets authority looking like they're going to require fiduciary managers to disclose data in line with these templates, having the ability to have an organization go out, collect that data in a consistent format, present it back to me is, is fantastic news. Can I just um, sort of add something here, if that's all right, Victoria? Yeah, so, please. Um, <clears throat> there are some considerable advantages, I think, to the standards. Um, the first is that, that it's a standard. Um, from an asset manager point of view, from a, a fiduciary manager's point of view, from a consultant's point of view, and also from the um, pension fund points of view, um, having the same data collected in the same way um, 
is immensely beneficial. Not only does it allow an asset manager to standardize the collection process from their systems, in other words, they can code their systems to automatically deliver the data, it also means that asset owners will see the data in the same format or the same data in the same format in the same way, which makes it comparable. So from an asset, asset manager point of view, one of the problems they have has been taken off the table. When you have a plethora of organizations asking you for the same data, but in different formats or slightly different data in slightly different formats, it becomes a cottage industry to go and dip into your system to get the data. Developing a standard set of data terms means that at least one of the problems is taken away. I can build my systems to deliver the data. It doesn't deal with the timing um, of requests, and, and Clearglass will deal with that if we start to standardize that timing, but it deals with the data items, and it means you can also bat away the requests that you get from those who don't adhere to the standard. Um, <clears throat> and there are organizations out there that, that believe that they know better, and that's right and proper and good, but it means that asset managers who have to do the job of asset management don't get caught up with the job of collecting data for the sake of collecting data. And that's an enormous benefit to them. For the point of view of asset owners, um, there, as I say, there are lots of people out there who've been collecting data, and I salute them. Um, it's, it's important that you've done it. It's important work. Um, but the question I always ask is, how, how do you compare that to the rest of the data that's out there? If, if you are asked by your board or you decide you want to figure out whether you are benchmarking yourself compared to the market, if you've collected a bunch of different data to the market, it makes it enormously difficult to compare. So now we have a standard, so use the standard. I'm not saying don't go and collect the data. I'm saying do collect the data, but at least do it to the standard because then you'll be able to compare. And that is one of the most important so what's from collecting data. So I, I think the standard is a, is a fantastic initiative and I support the FCA for their work. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing already? So the managers that you're already talking to, the data yeah, that you've been it's, requesting. It's been, it's been actually, it's been phenomenal. So, so we opened our doors. We did a soft launch in January. Um, we've got the hard, I say hard launch coming up in the next um, um, couple of weeks, simply because we've been so caught up with processing, we haven't had the chance to do any of the PR that associates with starting a new company. That's coming out. You'll see it. But since the soft launch um, in January, we've taken on. Crikey. As of yesterday, it was 26 pension fund clients. That represents some uh, 110 billion of assets under management, um, something upwards of 550 uh, products we've assessed using the framework and we've collected data for. And we've interacted, most importantly, with something like 120 asset managers. I think with the new, with, with a fund that we took on on Friday, I think it goes up to 120, maybe 104 we've spoken to just now. And the vast majority have been exactly as I expected them to be, which is welcoming the fact that they can now give data in a standardized way and therefore they can be compared like for like. So I would estimate there have been four or five asset managers only that have gone not interested. I mean, we've had one email that just says, not interested, go away, <laughs> which is like, I'm sorry. I don't understand how you can say that because I'm not doing the asking. I'm just the mobile phone that's been picked up equivalent by your clients. It's your clients doing the asking. So I'll tell you what, I'll forward this email to your clients and you can just tell them to go away because that's what you're doing. It's, it's very odd to me that someone would have that stance. Um, to give you another statistic, we may have 25, 26, I think, funds on the platform currently, 100 and something billion of, of assets. Um, but we have a pipeline of some 400 DB funds, 
150 DC funds that are kind of backed up to come on the platform, slowly adding themselves on. Um, and we've got two other pools of funds who are coming on at some point or other. One of them is 650 European funds. So it's not even just the UK. These are funds that are actually UK and Europe who are interested in having their data collected from their asset managers. So this thing is just it's just gone boom. Um, and it's, it's, it's somewhat hard to keep up with, actually. Every day it changes. Neil, can I ask you from a consulting perspective, how important is, is cost collection going forward? Yeah, well, for, first of all, I'd just like to echo Chrissy's comments about the benefits of standardisation. Having tried to collect cost data over a number of years, it's a soul-destroying task to try and get to the bottom of what you're actually paying and to whom. So the benefits of standardisation should not be underestimated. And from a an individual scheme perspective, I would encourage every set of trustees to be inquisitive, to ask the question of your asset managers, what are the costs that you're incurring for managing my, my assets uh, on my behalf? And so that's the first thing I'd, I'd ask every trustee to do is ask the question, understand how much you're paying your asset managers. And you can stop there. You can tick the box. The, the, the pension regulator expects no less. You should have an understanding of the costs you're incurring in running your, your pension scheme. However, you may want to take it a step further and I'd certainly encourage many schemes to do so, to put it into context. So under, I know how much I'm paying, but is it cheap? Is it expensive? Am I getting value for money? How do I compare to other similar managers, other schemes, not only in costs, but also in performance? Do I have a high cost manager who's delivering low returns or vice versa? And so how do I get that context? Well, that's benchmarking. And that's something that McLagan and Aeon subsidiary can provide any scheme in the UK using industry-wide data. So not just data related to Aeon clients, but industry-wide data. So things have changed quite a lot since you both started in the industry, probably fair to say. Um, things have changed quite a lot over the last few months. Neil can afford those yeah. shoes for a start. Uh, our <laughs> listeners can't see the shoes, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe we'll put a picture up. <laughs> but um, where do you see things going? So what's going to happen in the next four or five years? Okay, well, Victoria, I know past performance isn't a guide to future performance. Very good. Apparently. Um, but sometimes I think you have to look backwards to get an idea for the future. The Dutch have a have a history of, of leading the way in things. And, and eight years ago in the Netherlands, they established a similar scheme to what we have here now in the UK, a voluntary code of cost disclosure. In the following five years, we saw costs reduced by around about 20% and transaction costs reduced by over half over that period. So in five years' time, I think we'll, we'll be living like the Dutch, speed skating to work, etc. Wearing clocks. Okay, I'll have a new pair of shoes. <laughs> a new style. We're nearing the end of the interview now, I guess. Um, what would you like to leave our listeners with? What What are the takeaways? Any immediate actions, thoughts that um, you could have for pensions managers, trustees? My takeaway: I'd encourage every asset owner to embrace this initiative and ask the questions of your asset manager. Ask for the information in line with this standard cost template. 
Yeah, definitely use the standard um, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to compare like for like. That's the first thing. Secondly, um, the first and most important signal you get through the process of just asking is finding out which asset managers are willing to play the game and which aren't. And just to add to that, at Aon, within our fiduciary solutions, we work with around 70 to 80 asset managers. We've asked all of them for their data using Clear Glass, of course, and I'm expecting all of them to complete that template. And, and for any new manager who signs up to our fiduciary arrangement, we'll be looking for them to agree upfront to provide us with information in line with these templates. That's a really good start. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming in. It sounds like you're you're trying to simplify what is a very complex cost collection exercise and and help clients with the the so what at the end of the day and hopefully drive down those costs that are, are being incurred. Um, so all that's left for me to do is to thank you for coming in. So thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. This is the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast with me, Victoria Panormo, and my guests, Dr. Chris Sear and Neil Smith. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, you can contact me on victoria.panormo at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email us, talktous at aon.com. Mm-hmm.